on this episode of the Highlander Podcast, we talk with Gino Pearson, president of Nordic United, a nonprofit dedicated to promoting human-powered winter recreation in Cache Valley. We talk about snow sports and the importance of getting outside during the winter. Hey, welcome back, everyone. This is Chase Anderson with the Highlander Podcast, and I'm joined today by Gino Pearson, president of Nordic United. Thanks for, thanks for being here. Yep, my pleasure. Appreciate you taking the time. I um, thought it would be fun to bring up um, people in kind of in the winter sports community and have some conversations, or especially around this time of the year. Um, and Nordic United is, in my opinion, just such an interesting, impactful, important organization here in the community. Um, I wanted to just start off by d- reading off the slogan that, that's on the website. Sure or I guess your mission statement, mm-hmm. um, supporting non-motorized winter recreation in Cache Valley or in the Cache Valley area of Northern Utah. Yeah. It's a great mission. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, I think, um, we're a volunteer group, nonprofit. Um, not sure if you saw that on the website. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, um, volunteer hours, um, in donations to Nordic United from various folks, um, in mostly in, in Logan, Cache Valley area, um, supporting these activities we do. Um, so it's a great organization, winter-focused, non-motorized. I think you mentioned that. And um, just trying to get people outside to in- enjoy winter. Um, yeah, we talked a little bit about this off-air. It's sometimes winter comes and there's a groan and people hide inside and say, oh, this is terrible weather. And, and Logan has a little bit longer winter than maybe some people would like. Mm-hmm. But um, for, I think, participants in, in Nordic United members, that's an exciting time. People are waiting for winter to come around. Yeah, well, absolutely. Um, so I, I think most folks like me um, were happy when the snow fell early. Yeah. And actually, we had a Christmas present, you know, at the end of November, you know. So um, December 1, we basically get a permit from the Forest Service to take care of Green Canyon to groom it. And so on December 1, there was a small army of volunteers out there getting Green Canyon prepped. And I'm sure the backcountry skiers as well were already getting up on, you know, their favorite areas in the canyon and getting on snow really, really early. So, yeah, yeah. so Christmas came early for folks like, like myself. That's awesome. Um, can, can we dive into a little bit of the history of Nordic United? Mm-hmm. And, and how did the organization start? How long has it been around uh, here in, in the community? So I kind of went through some old notes. So back in 2004, I actually thought it was a little bit prior to that, but um, I'm one of the original members, um, board members, along with my wife and many other folks. Um, and it was kind of a combination of, I think, the backcountry skiers and the Nordic skiers, cross-country skiers, getting together and forming Nordic United. And there was various reasons for it, but I think it was trying to get a, a collective group together to help promote non-motorized activity. And I think for the backcountry skiers, it was trying to make sure they could secure some areas up in Logan Canyon where they could go to that weren't, um, you know, snowmobiled over, you know, so they could just have some spots and um and and then also having a bigger presence for as a group as a body to work with the forest service to you know secure green canyon for the nordic type skiers try to do some other areas as well um, but it was a combination of two in in trying to get more bodies as a collective group to promote winter non-motorized activity that's great. What What is your role as, as president, and, and how long have you been in that position, and what does that so, entail, you yeah, know, running a nonprofit? So um, I just like to really say I'm a glorified admin. 
Um, and I just try to make sure I'm connecting dots to just make sure all the different people are doing what they're supposed to do. Um, at times I have to dive into various issues to, I guess, resolve or move it forward, what, what have you. But the group in many ways is self-sustaining in the sense of the momentum of activities or the action items that need to be taken care of. So I'm just kind of overseeing most folks and just trying to keep everybody on track that we, we, we don't slip anywhere. Um, and you said something about timeline. It's a three-year timeline to be the president. My time is over, and so hopefully I'll be transitioning out at the end of this year, and hopefully we'll find another president. So kind of by the bylaws, it's it's a three-year rotation. Right, okay. Um, I, I figured I, I could we'd break up the conversation mm-hmm. a little bit by some of the different um, things that Nordic United does here in the community relating to education, your involvement in land management, and then as well as events. Um, but first, can you walk me through what are some of the different um, non-motorized activities that that kind of fall under the organization. You talked about cross-country skiing, backcountry. Um, I have some in here my, in my notes, but I didn't necessarily think of them as falling under Nordic United's mission. Yeah, it, it, it's a little loose, but yeah. you know, I think anything that's um, human-powered on snow, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I'll pick on Green Canyon for a second. Um, So in Green Canyon, we have a permit that we do with the Forest Service. So there's a permitting process. And then we will actually groom the road. So ultimately for the Nordic cross-country skiers, so there's actually what we call skate lane. It's really wide. It's about eight feet wide. And then on one side, there will be tracks. And you may have seen commercials where people are kind of shuffling through the snow. looks like they're walking on skis. And um, but that's what the tracks are for. But also, too, in the permit, we actually do the single track where basically you can mountain bike ride in the summertime or trail run it. And, um, but we also groom it for the snow bikers in the wintertime. And um, so there's been kind of a partnership. Um, I'm probably going to get this name wrong, but the Fat Bike Collective or the Cash Trails Alliance or something like that. But there's a couple of different groups for the snow bike community, and we're all kind of intertwined. They have different areas to go, but... This is under the Nordic United umbrella up in Green Canyon. And then in there, there's signs along the trails. We encourage people, if you're going to run, run on a certain side of the road or run on the trail or snowshoe if the snow is soft. Um, There are also, too, if you snow bike up there, there's certain size tires you should use. If you use a normal mountain bike tire, you'll sink through the snow. You'll ruin the single track for the other snow bike riders. So there are some kind of general guidelines up there. And for the most part, everybody kind of, follows them so um, it works out well for a lot of people and we get walkers that walk only up part way you know so it's it's actually over the last couple of years gets crazy use um, I think there was a tipping point maybe three or four years ago where the numbers have really really swung up um, in the sense of Green Canyon use um, I'll, I'll pause there yeah well uh, along those lines are, are you out is, is someone out there tracking the amount of use that's that's out there and then working with the Forest Service and, and kind of sharing back that data with them to show So a couple of years activity? ago, a formal study was done. Um, and actually, ironically, today I ran into a couple folks that are actually tracking for, um, I, ca- I think it's the Cache Trails Alliance um, as part of the um, Cache County um, yeah, I, I know, administrative group where they've been putting in the mountain bike trails mm, in different yep. areas in town. Um, and so they actually got a counter up there on the trail I just found out, so I got to follow back up with them today. So there was a, an official study done, I think about three, four years ago, 
but it looks like another study is actually being done for the Cache Trails group. And so I need to tap into that information. So very informal, you just kind of do a head count when you're out there, how full is the parking lot. Um, but formally, we probably need to do one again because I think having those numbers does help support trying to get a grant, let it be from Utah, um, Parks and Rec or the governor's office or maybe something locally, what have you. Having numbers showing growth, I think, is very important. Right. And so. and I know, especially for, for cash trails, where the county has a position. I know that they're working to fill that right, position yep. for a new trails director right now. But that trails director will probably really want to know the usage, right? Because well, that, that helps justify, like in, you said, additional actually, money. And in this actually, the county that was going on was based on Dayton Crate's last request. So right. this was under him. So whoever steps in will get that data. That's great. Yeah. Well, and it, it's probably maybe an afterthought for a lot of people. They, they just think, oh, well, trails are a spring, summer, fall mm-hmm. thing, right? And right. I don't know if people think about trail usage during the wintertime, but obviously there's there's a lot of use for those, those trails, especially up Green Canyon yeah. with these various activities. Right. Um, maybe loosely... What would you say the state of winter recreation is here in the community? What What are the opportunities? What are the, the successes? What you know? Why winter recreation here in this area? So, so I guess my simple view is, as I tell everybody, you know, Utah's a great place, and it comes with one but is the inversion we get in the winter time. Mm-hmm. But it's so easy to get above the inversion very, very quickly. And it can go from gray skies and bitterly cold to incredibly warm and blue skies. Not, not really going far up Logan Canyon or not going far up Green Canyon or going up Smithfield Canyon or if you're a backcountry skier, your favorite place. As soon as you drive into the canyon, the inversion's gone. You know, so it's just a great way to really enjoy the time. Um, and it's just a great way to get through winter quicker and and the scenery is different than in the summertime you know so if if you're an active you know outdoors person in the summertime let it be an ATV type person on the the jeep roads up in the canyon um, but you don't do anything in the wintertime just going out and getting snowshoes or just walking some of the trails up Logan Canyon because the snow will pack down you get above that inversion so quickly and it's just it's a different world and in the wintertime it's different than summertime you know, it's just got a different beauty, feel, what have you. Right. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, and you don't touch really alpine skiing at all, or, no, do, or do you? What's no, the no, relationship no, I, there? No, actually, we don't. We don't do anything resort. Mm-hmm. Um, in the past, um, there's been these skimo races, so kind of a backcountry ski race um, where they've held it at Beaver Mountain. Um and, they'll, and through the state, they have them at other ski resorts. So there, that was something that was loosely under the Nordic United umbrella, maybe for a year or two, um, but nothing other than that. We do have an association with Beaver Mountain, though, where right below Beaver Mountain, we groom the small track on Sitla land, school trust land. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with it. But um, we lost the permit for a couple of years because they were logging up there. We finally got it back. Um, and it's kind of, we're inching our way back along, but there's a partnership with Beaver Mountain and Common Ground as well. They have a new building up there, and we're trying to make sure we can connect to the Common Ground building to the Beaver Bottoms little ski area. Mm. And it's probably, I don't think it's a five-mile loop. I think I'm sorry, it's probably close, probably greater than three, definitely less than five. But it kind of comes off the, the hill, and then there's a big little... Um, Big little, big, big, big plateau down below that you can kind of do some loops or get out and, you know, in, in onto the snow on 
let it be snowshoes, running, cross-country skis. Right. Oh, that's great. It's great to know that there's a connection there, yeah. um, at least. Um, you, you kind of mentioned having to go through permitting processes. So I'm, I'm, I mm-hmm. want to jump ahead a little bit sure. as it relates to um, land management. And uh, I, I wonder how much you were familiar with some of those processes, you know, stepping into this role and, and working with the association. What kind of a learning curve was that to to figure out how do you work with the Forest Service and how do you work with SITLA land? and what was that learning curve like and what's that relationship uh, with those organizations now um, to provide greater access to the outdoors? So I think over time, right, there's always a building process, working with stakeholders, what have you. And I think so for me, I was very fortunate that we have a public lands person who really deals with public lands outside of Green Canyon. Um, let it be Sitla, let it be somewhere else up in the canyon, dealing with UDOT, various other you know Utah government agencies. So that person has been doing the SITLA stuff for quite some time. So that was kind of on autopilot. I did get back involved a little bit more recently just based on getting the permit back for SITLA. So I guess maybe um, a different approach or or different comments to what we were trying to accomplish up there. Um, And then for Green Canyon, we've had this master plan or master permit. I probably got the phrases wrong. Um, but so we have a five-year permit and then every year it gets renewed with some updates. That's been in place for a long time. And I think, um, right now there's a key person for Nordic United that takes care of that. And it's, you know, autopilot's the wrong word, but for the most part, it's, it's gotta be submitted at the right time. It's gotta be updated correctly. And the Forest Service looks at it and, and we have the five-year, you know, permit. But then we just update it yearly in case, you know, you want to modify something, things of that nature. One of the things this year, they, the Forest Service gave us um, this trial experiment to groom Smithfield Canyon. Mm. And we just happened to do it right now over the you know Christmas, New Year's break because we had manpower, we got good snow. And so we're just trying to get feedback from people and, you know, is it worthwhile? Is this something we want to do next year? And they also gave us... Um, um, a temporary trial to do up in, up in Logan Canyon and just say, hey, how does this work? Were you able to accomplish what you wanted to? Does it make sense to maybe consider it, you know, later on at a different time, things of that nature? So the Forest Service, you know, we have really good dialogue with them. SITLA, we have the main contact there. And those are the two entities we pretty much deal with. Obviously, trying to reach out to Cache County more, things of that nature would be great. Uh, but here again, most of us all work full time. And so trying to squeeze in a little bit of hours here and there um, sometimes can be a challenge. Right. So what are what are some of the projects that you're most excited about when it comes to you know, greater access to, to land? It sounds like, you know, some great things happening on Smithfield Canyon. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess what's some of that master plan that you're you're interested in? What does the master plan look like for the future? Well, well, that, that's a tough question to answer. <laughs> um, so there's probably not a master master plan. I think kind of on the roadmap that is talked about very lightly would be possibly Murray Farms. Are there some areas up in Logan Canyon that could be used? Logan Canyon has some challenges. And one of the bigger challenges, if you look at maybe like Ogden Nordic, um, that's in the North Fork area in Ogden Valley, um, or if you look at, um, it's called TUNA, the, the Utah Nordic Association, and where they do some grooming, the areas that they've identified is either county land or city land 
that has been designated they can use over and over and over again. But it also holds snow well. Mm. And holding snow is really, really critical. Kind of Logan Canyon, there, there's some areas there that you can probably chisel out, but they're not a perfect fit in today's world. And uh, one that would be a perfect fit would be Temple Fork. Mm. But the only problem with Temple Fork is there's not a good place to park. And mm. that would probably be a major undertaking. Um, across in Wellsville, there's Murray Farms. And I think long term, that could be a great option because actually if you get up up into the Murray Farm area that was there was a land swap and the Forest Service owns it now. You could probably actually put in a nice Nordic center that's not very, very difficult in the sense of the hills. Where Green Canyon, it's a canyon. It's all uphill and all downhill, and sometimes it petrifies people. The bottom can be a little tricky and icy and super fast. Mm -hmm. Murray Farms would be perfect, but then it would also be a great access for the backcountry skiers to get into those areas of, I think it's Deep Canyon and some other canyons over there. So that would almost be a multi-functional uh, site, you know, for, you know, the winter recreation person. And, um, and, and obviously you got to balance use, you know, um, Logan Canyon has a lot of snowmobile use, you know, so obviously as Nordic United president, we have to be sensitive to what people do and things of that nature, you know, and so, but Murray Farm has some infrastructure that has to be completed by the Forest Service first before we can go the next step and have a conversation. Mm. You know, but I would think that would be long-term. It's possible the county may have some property somewhere that they could say, hey, like what Ogden did, maybe that's, there's an opportunity here. And I think maybe as we kind of get a little bit more foundation underneath us as an organization, we could reach out to them and talk to them right. about that. Um, one thing we're trying to do to help, I guess, expand our footprint it was actually, I just yesterday called um, Utah Parks and Rec, trying to figure out how to get another grant to what I'm calling flexible grooming kit. So we have the proper implements in the proper places, but most of our equipment's very, very old. We have some new stuff. But if we had this flexible grooming kit, if, you know, the mayor of Logan City called us and she said, hey, can you go groom Logan or Logan Golf Course? And we got this flexible kit, we could go do it. The problem with Logan Golf Course is you can only do it when the snow's good. And also we're on a warming trend. A lot of that snow can go away. But, you know, if we hit it two weeks ago, then, you know, it's probably good for, you know, a week and a half. And so that, that's one of the struggles with winter and things that are right down in the valley is having good snow in place. Right. You know, and so, um, so those are some of the challenges and maybe looking forward a little bit. That Right. Right. That's exciting. Well, and I, I would think the county, I think, is starting to see more the opportunity to, to brand itself as an outdoor mm -hmm. destination. I think Dayton's, you know, position as, um, you know, the director of trails. Right. Um, if that's the if that's the title um, is a great step forward. It shows the county's willingness to put dollars right. behind outdoor recreation, right? Mm -hmm. And infrastructure. And it kind of seems like infrastructure is the first step, right? You've got to have infrastructure before you can have mass participation, right? right? And sure. we've done a lot on the trail building side, but maybe less on the winter recreation infrastructure side of things. Right. So I'll be interested to see how that develops. Mm -hmm. And, but I think the climate around the county is, is definitely positive, right? Yeah. And, and actually just recently in the paper, um, I think it's the Downtown Business Alliance, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, but they had a thing in the paper about, and I'm going to get the phrase wrong, but something like Nordic Town or, you know, but come come to Logan or Cache, Cache Valley for your winter recreation. Yeah. And, um, in, 
sometimes Ketchum, Idaho, Sun Valley area, mm-hmm. they, they put on a great ski race. And one thing about here, actually the Uller, I know you got this on your notes later, but um, up in Logan Canyon, we have some great trails up there. Some of them are snowmobile trails. And, you know, and this is only a dream. But actually, a number of years ago, with the cooperation of snowmobilers, we were actually to run a marathon race from Franklin Basin all the way over to Beaver Creek and finish across the road at Beaver Bottoms below Beaver Mountain. Wow. And that's a epic marathon course. And Utah does not have a great marathon course. So the Uller is kind of a kickoff again to try to get something going. And so Jason, you know, has really taken this one on and um, trying to kind of resurrect the Uller again. And, um, and I know you got questions. Well, about let's, let's, jump, Whoops, let's jump yeah. into events. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's another, you know, events are just a way to, I feel like a great way to mobilize the community mm-hmm. Um, introduce people to, to sport and different activities to, to these organizations. We've we've had other big events, uh, you know, the Bear 100, mm-hmm. Loda Jaw, um, Cash Grand Fondo, Tour of Utah. We've mm-hmm. had the organizers of those events here um, talking about the importance of those events to, to their respective sports and activities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the equivalent of those for winter recreation is, I, I think, you guys are doing that. You guys are creating those events that mm-hmm. will introduce people to the sport uh, and bring attention to those activities. And that's through two events that you you put on the the Uller. Maybe we could start there. And and would you mind sharing? You kind of teed up a little bit sure. what that's about. But what is the Uller race? So um, kind of going backwards in time, um, the Uller was put on by you know some some other folks in Nordic United to like you said promote you know cross country skiing um, events in. And so it kind of ebbed and flowed in, in the sense of where it was at location-wise, but always up in Logan Canyon. And then a couple times we actually did it from Franklin Basin all the way over Beaver Creek um, and finished on Beaver Bottoms. And it will get people from Salt Lake. It'll probably get people from Pocatello. It'll probably get possibly past Olympians or, you know, you know collegiate athletes. And, it, and it's a great course. It's truly a wonderful course. But it takes cooperation, obviously, you don't want to tread on the snowmobiler's time, and so we try to do it late in the season, kind of like mid-March, and um, but also try to obviously you know let other people enjoy the beauty of the canyon, and and it, and when we did it before in the past, and I wasn't the organizer or anything like that, but we'll get a lot of local people who are not not racers, you know, but recreational folks, but they'll come out and do it because it's epic, you know, they can enjoy that whole trail in you know in a very peaceful way. And, um, and it gets multiple people out there. And I, th- I think kind of, you know, partnership with Common Ground, getting multi-use, you know, getting adaptive skiers on the courses, things of that nature, um, getting kids out on the course, you know, let it be a small, you know, race 100 yards or race, you know, 5K out and whatever, you know, then come back. Um, but, it, but it helps build, you know, the family activity, right. you know, so... You know, I always dragged my kids when I would go to ski races, and they putter around in the snow while I'm out there try, trying to pretend I'm right. fast. And um, but but you get a lot of people out there, and then you get to have a get together afterwards. Right. I, I just think of when the tour of Utah comes to town. Um, you know, every two years we get that coming through, and mm-hmm. and how many kids see professional cyclists right. zipping through their neighborhood, and maybe that's something that sparks this you know, something inside of them that says, well, I, I want to get on my bike more. Right. And I think the equivalent of that is, are are these, these races, right. Maybe some people just don't even know I could, I could, you know, cross country 
ski or I could race. Like they don't even know it's a possibility until they see uh, professionals or even amateurs doing it. Right. right. Um, that, that leads me to the crowbar. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that race? That one's coming up sooner. Yeah. Is that I end of January? Um, I think it's the first week in February okay. maybe. Yeah. Um, so, so I'm not a backcountry skier and, um, but the first year as a president, I actually did it. And, um, and it was, it, it's really fun. And, um, and it's basically kind of a backcountry ski race is what it comes down mm. to. And so you get to work your way up a, a hill, and that part I do quite well. And then you get to work your way downhill, which I don't do so well in the deep snow. And it was actually a lot of snow that year. But it, it, it's a fun day outside. And I think um, the way it's organized, it's it's re- really enjoyable. Um, you can do one loop. You could do the extended loop if you're really, you know, I guess um, in shape or that's what you like to do. Um but it's just a fun activity, in, in some ways maybe in a controlled environment. So if you're somewhat of a backcountry skier and you're semi-skilled and um, and you want to challenge yourself to maybe a little bit more difficult terrain, but you know you got people not far away to maybe help you out, you know, that, that's a nice way of doing it. Um, or maybe learn a different area. And I don't know if this statement is true, but I, I was told this before that this this crowbar race is one of the few races maybe in the world that's not held at a ski resort and so it's kind of got this little epic thing so this was started by eric searster searstad i think is how you say his last name um he was president of nordic united a number of years ago um but he actually started it so it actually started under the nordic united umbrella and um and you know still being run today under the nordic united umbrella how long has it been going on that i don't know okay probably Probably at least ten years. Wow! If not ten, it's close to ten. Right. And um, what, what's the course look like for a backcountry ski race? Like it, that seems like a challenge to create something that's controlled enough that it's safe, but right. challenging enough for those participating. What's the course look like? Where's that held? Um, <clears throat> so the year I did it was down by Sink Hollow, and um, and I don't know all the different little hills up in Logan Canyon, but basically you would work your way. I think it was kind of north over a ridge, and then down, then up towards Swan Flat, and down. This year, okay. last year was held at Swan Flat, so it will kind of move around. Mm. Um, I think based on permitting things of that nature. Um, I think with Sitla taking away our permit a couple of years ago, we had to move it. Right. And um, so now it's up in the Swan Flats areas, but it's still mm-hmm. kind of the same general area, but you have to work your way over a ridge and then you come back down, then you kind of come back over a different ridge and come down. And and it, it, it's a nice way to get in the canyon yeah, and, sure. and, and enjoy it. And I, I think now they're up to about 75 participants. Wow, that's um, great. And I think in years past, you know, it, it slowly keeps building on itself and they don't want too many you know, in the sense of logistics, managing, right, safety, the course, sure. safety. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That's exciting. Um, that, this kind of takes me to kind of the last point. We talked land management events. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to dive in, into education a little bit. And I know for a lot of people, some outdoor sports can, can be daunting, right? Mm-hmm. And I think alpine skiing is, is daunting, right? I think people see that and think, I'm going downhill on ice. You know, I don't know if I can do that. Um, you know, I grew up doing it as a kid, so it just kind of came second nature to do that. Um, I think I imagine cross country has its own challenges, but maybe it's something that people can get into at their own pace a little bit more. Right. I think it's a little more. I don't know. Is is there something about some of these activities that's a little more approachable when you're trying to educate people and get people into winter recreation? Is there any truth to that? 
Um, yeah. So I'm just trying to think how to answer it. Um, so in the sense of cross-country skiing, so I think I'll back up. I'll, I'll start with backcountry skiing. So I'm, I'm a true novice. I didn't start skiing until I was in my mid-20s, and um, I grew up back east, and, um, and I'm a hack at best when it comes to skiing, let it be Nordic or downhill. And um, I've been out backcountry skiing a few times, and I think there's many areas where the approach is pretty shallow. And so maybe the snow's deep, but it's shallow, and you can learn. And and I think the same way for cross-country skiing. Um, so I ski on incredibly skinny skis that are just really, really quick, and they glide fast. And and um, But you can start on fatter skis with more stable boots, and and you can control what you're doing more so on the downhill. Going uphill is you're going uphill, so you're not too worried. And so if it's backcountry skiing on a shallow slope, you're not going to get crazy fast. And if you're on a fat ski, cross-country skiing, you're coming down green, you, you'll get going pretty fast at the bottom because mm. it gets pretty icy. Yeah. But bigger skis will slow you down, and it's easier to maybe snow plow with a bigger ski than the skis I ski on. You know, so everything's a building block. And, um, and one of the challenges we have to encourage people to ski more up in Green Canyon, so... Um, my wife has been giving lessons like um, a, a, to a, a women's group for a number of years. And, and a lot of the, the women have issues with green because it, it's icy coming down, and they'll take the skis off. And, um, but Green Canyon is, if you just get up like, I don't know, half mile, a mile, the snow gets so different. And, uh, but that can be very challenging. And, um, and, and that's one of the things we struggle with as an organization trying to teach people. You, you got to get up farther to enjoy the snow, but there's only so much or so little area that's flat mm -hmm. that we can actually get people out. So you can kind of figure out a rhythm and a routine. And cross-country skiing can be difficult because it, you have to work more at yeah. it. You know? And it's kind of like backcountry skiing. You got to work to go uphill. Then you got gravity all the way down. Right. Cross-country skiing with green, it's all uphill, then it's all gravity pulling you down. But if you kind of go to something that's just kind of rolly, you're up and down, yeah. you, you still have to physically work more. It's not like going to Beaver Mountain and you get the ride up sure. and then you have gravity pulling yeah. you down. You know, so there's there's certain challenges just close by to teach people cross-country skiing. Um, but we do our best as a group. Matter of fact, yesterday we got a reach out from some – some, some school group, um, and I, I wrote back last night, but basically they want to take their kids out every Tuesday in, in February, and they want Nordic United to help get the kids on snow. And that will be a big challenge for us because, for the most part, we all have full-time jobs. Yeah. But it might be a good opportunity to say, hey, here's some kids. Let's reach out to them. A number of years ago, we did have a kids program where it was pretty well organized. They met, you know, I don't know every other week or something like that. This was up in Beaver Bottoms. But we had like these two-hour lessons with kids, so it was very formal. And I think we're trying to do that again. Um, a lady moved here from Missoula who used to live here, and she wants to kind of start the kids program again. And she's mm -hmm. retired, so I'm excited, and I think our organization is excited that we now have a key go-to person. So this might be just, you know, perfect timing, you know, that, hey, we might be able to do something, maybe not what the request was, but maybe this helps inch us along. Right. You know, and also one of the other challenges is equipment. Um, let it be yeah. backcountry. I mean, that equipment's pretty expensive. Yep. Um, I think everything's gotten expensive, but cross-country ski gear, you know, it, 
you got to get a set. You can rent it, and I think there's various places in town that have it available. But um, it, it could be limiting if um, you got a big group. You say, okay, we're all going to go do lessons this Wednesday afternoon, but there's only enough stuff in town for, for 10 of the 20. Right. You know? Yeah. So there are some challenges there. Um, right. Right. It, any other points that you want to share about education? It's exciting to hear that you're, it sounds like there's some educational programs coming for kids. And, um, you know, if, if you have adults who want to learn, is, is that something they can just come? Do you have, do you have events that adults yeah, can come well, and learn or so, what's that uh, look like? Yeah. So last year we did kind of a, you know, ad hoc, um, Hey, we did an email blast or put it on the Facebook page saying, Hey, this Wednesday night or whatever day, show up at this time, we'll give you a skate clinic. So for cross-country skiing, there's two types, I think I mentioned it before, skating in the traditional. And come Wednesday night, we'll teach you skate. We'll spend one hour going back and forth, giving you some pointers. Um, then two weeks later, hey, come back, you know, Wednesday night, and we'll teach you how to classic ski. You know, we'll, we'll kind of fundamentally show you the steps. So I do try to, if I see people on the trail, I try to give them some pointers, you know, try, try to gently ask them if they want, want a tip. Um, there are some people up there who know who I am and I'll stop and I'll give them some pointers saying, okay, hey, let's work on this. Um, I, I guess the key thing about cross-country skiing, if you go up to Logan or you go to Green Canyon, you'll see it, it's a lifelong sport and you don't have to do it from day one to be to enjoy it if you picked it up in, if you were 30 or 40 or 50 or 60. I mean, we have such a wide range of ages up in the canyon. And, and so I do a lot of grooming up there, so prepping the trail. And I'll go out very early in the morning. It's pitch black, and there will be people with headlamps coming down skiing or going up skiing. And when I'm coming back down, and there will be snow bikers on the trail with their headlamps. And so it's a nice way to get out early. Um, you know, maybe before work or lunchtime or after work, you know, you got to prep, bring a little extra clothes, take a little backpack or something, just make sure you, you got, sometimes it can get cold and you don't realize it's colder than you think it mm -hmm. would be. So having just a little extra stuff helps. Um, but anybody can do it. It's a great way to get through winter. Right? And, and that's what's important to me. Right. So maybe on a more personal note, how did how did you end up in Cache Valley? What's your connection to, to my, this community? My and connection to Cache Valley. So um, actually, um, so many, many years ago, I met my wife. She was in grad school in Buffalo, New York. Um, I was just finishing schooling. And then, um, but she's originally from Spokane. She went to undergrad out here in Utah, grad school back east. And we ended up going more east, and then somewhere in there she always wanted to go back west. And then I kind of started looking for jobs in Washington, Oregon, Idaho, and Utah. And oddly enough, I was able to find a position here in Logan, Utah, and we've been lucky to stay here ever since. That's great. Yeah. Well, uh, how do people stay in touch with, with the organization, hear about what's going on? Sure. What's the best way to stay in touch? So nordicunited.org, or just do Nordic United Google search. You'll find us. Um, you can send information. You can find me at president at nordicunited.org. Um, but we're out there on the website, Facebook. Um, there's an Instagram, hashtag Nordic United, where we kind of post the, at least the grooming reports for, yeah. let it be Smithfield Canyon, Green Canyon, or Beaver Bottoms. Um, but yeah, Nordic United, Google search, and you'll find a way to get a hold of us. Well, that's great. Well, honestly, I'm, I'm very glad that you ended up here. However well, it you. is, however you made it to Cache Valley, glad that you're here. Glad that you're helping build the outdoor community, uh, especially when it comes to winter recreation. Um, 
you guys are doing so much and we appreciate it. So thanks for taking the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. This was great. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. For more outdoor stories and content, connect with us on highlandermag.com. Oh,